0: the next level. Okay, quickly, first things first, let's start this show off with a laugh. You guys know Winnie the Pooh, you know. Oh, I think I have a thought. That Winnie the Pooh, you know, loves honey and stuff like that. Anyways, he's getting a horror remake this year. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. You guys know about this, right? Where it's like, supposedly the story is Christopher Robin he he left pooh and piglet behind went off to college and when he comes back pooh and piglet decide they want to kill all of his friends like all of Christopher Robin's friends and Christopher Robin himself anyways so that's the thing right and that's happening and how well we can throw the grinch into the mix uh, apparently the grinch is getting its own horror remake a movie called the mean one And the Grinch himself will be played by David Howard Thornton, who is also Art the Clown, Terrifier 2 in theaters right now. Anyways, yeah, so that's happening. There's rumors also that Peter Pan and Thor, not the Marvel one, but like Thor, you know, God of Thunder, these properties, these characters could be getting the horror treatment next okay i'm okay with this uh here's my thing though so i personally here's my i'm throwing this out into the mix i know no one's gonna hear it but hey who cares uh i'd love to see the smurfs get a horror remake and you're like wait what really the smurfs like they're cute they're blue they're two feet two inches tall or whatever two apples tall what is it i forget what the thing is with the smurfs anyways do you guys all remember maybe you don't maybe you do You know, the original Smurfs cartoon from the 80s. And there was that one episode, the purple Smurfs, where it was like, it was almost like the Smurfs were like doing an homage to Night of the Living Dead, where like they, how did it start off? Was it a bug? I believe it was like a bug bit, like a a fly or something bit one of the Smurfs and they turned from blue to purple. And all of a sudden they were like zombie-like and then they kept biting each other and they would, you know, more quote unquote purple Smurfs or zombies were forming and stuff I would love to see this turned into a full-length feature film, live-action, and I mean, you can even make the Smurfs, like, live-action, or do, like, stop-motion animation, and obviously I'm saying that for a reason, but (laughs) here's the thing, I think it would be Smurfing Awesome. Oh, I know, bad pun, right? Anyways, family-friendly, it's episode two of our little Gateway to Halloween horror event. From the Next Level Network and Studio Zero, it is your favorite podcast, What Lurks lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. I am your host, Smurf Mortem Paul. No, uh, Post Mortem Paul. Yeah, episode 131. This is the second episode to the gateway to Halloween horror event that I was doing this year. Focusing on our family-friendly films, which is kind of weird because last episode I really stuck within the PG-13 PG realm. I didn't talk about any rated R films or anything this week. Well, I might have to sort of stretch the line a little uh, because there are two movies that I quickly want to talk about before getting into the featured review of the week. Both are for mature audiences. The thing is, I will not be spoiling either film, nor will I be going into the full-on blood and gore and, you know, all the, the fleshy-ooziness and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to keep all that out. You know, because family-friendly, right? I know you guys are all like, I can't wait till November comes back and he's his normal self again. But yes, episode 131, before we do the quick two-movie reviews, I do want to say... That if you tuned in last week, you already know. But I'm going to tell you this week as well. That this episode is focusing on the stop motion animation film from 2012 Paranorman. But first, let's talk Hellraiser. <laughs> okay. Um, or should... Uh, do I go Hellraiser first or Werewolf by Night? Those are the two I'm talking about, by the way. Um, hmm. You know what? Let's do Werewolf by Night. First, So, 2022, Marvel movie. I know, you're like, Marvel? Really? I thought he said he was burned out from Marvel movies. Yeah, I kind of am. I mean, while I didn't hate it, the new Thor movie eh, really didn't impress me much. I mean, I, I don't know why. What is it with Chris Hemsworth? Poor dude, like. <laughs> They did it to him in that Ghostbusters 2016 movie. They did it to him here in his own Thor movie. They like to dumb this character down. I don't know why. And it sort of bothers me. But anyways, whatever. Thor Love and Thunder, it is what it is. Anyways, that's not the movie I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about Werewolf by Night, which was a Marvel special, 54-minute feature that showed up on Disney+. And yeah, I know. Like I stated, I am super burned out with the whole you know superhero thing i had to throw that word super in there twice why who knows here's the thing though so marvel does tease us what a month ago a month and a half ago whatever it was that there was this horror based special coming out and it was called werewolf by night and i mean when we saw that first trailer i'd be lying if i said it didn't grab me of course it did and here's the thing about this movie the classic monster's loving kid inside of this 47 year old corpse really enjoyed this 54 minute film movie special whatever with here's the thing is it a movie because i mean it's under an hour it's kind of like a special and it starts off it's really cool and kudos to marvel for doing this for those of you who remember being kids you know when we were kids back in the 80s and the 90s and on cbs before they would have like you know, Rusty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, they'd have that CBS special presentation little animation thing come up, and all that. Marvel did that with this. I loved them for it. I was like, all right, I'm already in, and we haven't even seen the first frame of this movie. So that was really cool. It helped bring me back to my younger years, and then, like I say, like, you've got the classic monsters. On top of that, they gave it the black and white treatment. See? If Universal would've let Rob Zombie do that, maybe the Munsters would've been received differently. But anyways, Marvel says, go ahead, go black and white. And on top of that, they added like a filter or whatever to give it that 35 millimeter film aesthetic as well. Thank you. That was awesome. What's really cool about this is that the director for it, Michael Giacchino is also a composer. He's actually, he recently did the score for, what was it? The Batman? I mean, like he's done like many scores. I obviously I'm pointing out one that's most recent, but he's done a lot of film scores. He's also directing this. This is really cool, and clearly knows his monster movies because he definitely hits that point dead on. Um, The two leads, oh jeez, I'm gonna butcher his name, but Gail Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly. I can say her name, but anyways. They steal the show. I'm not going to lie. They are awesome as Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone. I believe I got that right. It's Bloodstone. Um, I only wrote a few tiny notes for this because I don't want to spoil anything. Anyways, they do steal the show. There is a nice edition of... Spoiler! I'm not saying it, but if you've seen it already, you know what I'm talking about. Ted. Think about it for a minute. Anyways. Yes. That edition is great. I I was so giddy watching this. And it is weird because like I said, like Disney, Marvel, these two names have become very lackluster to me as of late. And then I, I see this and I'm like, I feel like I'm eight all over again. Wow, like thank you. I'm also gonna mention, and for those of you it's one of those, if you know it, you'll catch it kind of things. And I'm pretty sure it was done unintentionally. I can't see that Michael Giacchino was like, I got this perfect egg I'm going to throw in there. But anyways, fried berry. If you've seen the movie and you've seen this, hopefully you get what I'm talking about. Because I swear if it's, if it's unintentional, it's awesome. All in all, because I can't spoil anything. So I have to sort of stop there. 54 minutes. The special is a joyous little feature. I really... My biggest complaint... I Well, okay, I have sort of two, but the biggest complaint is it's not long enough. This thing ended, and I was like, I want more, damn it. Uh, but if I have to throw another gripe out there, and I mean it is what it is. Like, it's not one of those things where it's like, it totally ruined my day because this thing in my eyes is like an eight out of 10. It is just, it's awesome. But the fight choreography yeah, a little too Marvel, if you know what I mean. Like sort of like that Black Widow, like where they always have her do that like leg scissor thing where she flips a guy over and stuff. They have to throw that in there. And I'm like, hey, eh, come on. You're you're doing an homage to the classic monster movies of the 30s and 40s. They weren't fighting like that back then, but it is what it is. Like, I mean, it, it honestly, this thing was... So great, and I'm really hoping, which a lot, a lot of people I've talked to have said, yeah, they're pretty sure this is where the direction is going. Let's have this, you know, a little bit of Moon Knight. Let's have it all kind of converge to Blade. Blade is the one marble property I'm still seriously hyped about. So if, if we can have this tie into a bit of the Blade world, I'm so for it, honestly. Anyways, now. Let's go back to Hellraiser. Okay. Hellraiser has, in more ways than not, been such a breath of fresh air. Okay, Werewolf by Night, I must say, there was a lot of positivity that came from that. I did see some negative stuff online, but I mean, it was received quite positive. But then again... More times than not, I find that with Marvel films, there is a lot of positivity that is around those films. I get that. This movie had me worried. Because going into it, I mean, there was so much of the Doug Bradley versus Jamie Clayton argument, and so many people just right away were like, oh, no Doug Bradley, no Hellraiser for me. And I was really worried. When when this thing was coming out, Myself personally, I hyped it up right to the T's, but there was a lot of people who weren't. And I was like, Okay, as much as as I said last week, movies should matter how they like what, what how they make us feel, not how they make others feel. And I get that, and I'm totally all about that. But I also do understand that if something is really good and a lot of people don't receive it properly, we don't get more of that. And knowing what Hellraiser was doing and where, this, where the direction seemed like it was going, I'm like, I think I'm going to want more of this when this is done. So, this is the thing. You guys have heard me talk about two movies on this show, prior episodes, where I said, mind blown. The Sadness and Mad God. You can now add Hellraiser to that list. I This movie, okay, like, I mean, I went into it, I was hyped. I mean, even, you know, the day it was releasing, I was joking with everyone saying, Happy Hellraiser Day, and I, I was, like, ecstatic. Could not wait to check this movie out. Which is kind of funny, because it's U.S. only release, and I'm here in Canada. Yeah. Thanks. Whoever's at fault for that, whether it be Disney, 20th Century Fox, Spyglass, I don't know who, poor David Bruckner was the one that had to go on Twitter and say, it's US only, no international release. Wait, what? You do realize what's going to happen from something like that, right? Like, I mean, as great as a movie as Hellraiser is, it's also going to be labeled one of the most pirated movies because you can't get your poop together. Yeah, anyways, I may live in Canada, but you weren't stopping me from seeing the movie. So, you, you know, connect the dots on that one. Yeah, this movie did not disappoint. Yeehaw. And, okay, so without spoiling anything, I'm going to keep spoilers off this review. But anyways, very easy story to follow. It's not hard to follow. It didn't muddy itself with an abundance of side plots and, you know... I mean, there's side stories. Obviously, you have to have these characters fleshed out a little, but nothing that took away from the main course. Like it, it basically, it stuck its landing and it went. And I like that it did that. It went through its progressions. It takes its time doing that too. I mean, it's, this is a two-hour runtime for this movie, and I'm not gonna lie. When I first saw that, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know." It, yeah, it, nope, fine totally fine um I, I and here's the thing about a two-hour runtime because obviously it allowed itself to breathe i also like the build-up it gives it movie starts off with a tease and then built and that's how the film progressed and that's the story progresses based on that tease and It continues to do that for some time until you get to the final act where it's all hell breaks loose. Literally. And I like that. Again, keeping spoilers out of this, so I'm not going to go into full details about anything really other than this is the story of a, a woman struggling with an addiction. She's struggling with turmoil in her life. And she encounters the Configuration. And from there, the story unfolds. Moving on to the makeup and effects, all practical, which yeehaw, thank you for that. But secondly, magnificent, so great. There's actually a video that has just released on social media. I think it was earlier today, in which it's a really sped up video showing the application of Jamie's makeup in turning her into the priest. Uh, it's awesome. It's super quick. It's only like a 47 second video or whatnot, but really cool. And here's the other thing. So, I, a few comments and reviews I did see. Some people were saying, well, you know, for a reimagining of a Hellraiser movie, it seemed like it was a lot of the same. Here's my thing on this N- not every movie has to reinvent the wheel. We're talking, this is the 11th film in a Hellraiser franchise, okay? It's kind of hard to reinvent the wheel. It's kind of hard to give us visuals we haven't seen before. That being said, the Cenobites look great. I mean, they look amazing. The The taking away of the leather and just making it literally their flesh is their quote-unquote clothes or, you know what I mean? Like, it's their their look. It's actually pretty cool <laughs> I'm not gonna lie it, it was a, a nice change um and the thing is is like in in aspects like that sure they sort of reinvented the Cenobites and whatnot but again we're talking about an 11th film in a franchise they're trying to sort of reboot it but also keep it familiar so they played in the field that was already established but at the same time changed it a little bit and they made it work they made it bloody work like i mean, (laughs) pun intended because it was excellent and then we have to focus on Jamie Clayton here for just a second because she rules as I wrote in you know I wrote a little personal blurb on my own social media I might have added an expletive in there somewhere because (laughs) she's amazing and no she's not Doug Bradley okay she doesn't need to be that's the thing she kicks butt in her own way and it's hellishly amazing. she It's some of her quotes. Oh, I, I think... <laughs> what is it that you pray for? I think I said it at least a dozen times in the last week. Like, it's... There are certain quotes and she does play with a few of the quotes we're familiar you know, with hearing Doug use. She thinks she throws a few of those in there they're little eggs, they're little nods, it's nice Um, but again she's doing her own thing and it works if this, okay if this version of the franchise is to continue, and yes, I really hope we are getting a sequel to this there's a, a, I won't spoil it, but the way it ends, they opened up, you know, a can of worms there (laughs) it's like people are going to want more after seeing what they saw at the end of this film and so I'm hoping this continues. I'm hoping another, you know, another film is on the way. And I will say that I am 100% down for and in complete support of Jamie continuing to play the Hell Priest. I mean, bravo to her. Her performance is amazing. She really, and it's the subtle things. She doesn't come off as, how do I do this? How do I say this? Doug Bradley in the first especially in the first two films had a very commanding posture, a very demanding presence. She does that while not being overpowering. It's kind of she has a delicate approach to it, but at the same time it, it really works and I'm not going to lie, like these Cenobites there's what, seven of them in total, I believe, in this film? Every single one of them, if I saw that in real life, would freak me out. I'm I'm not kidding. Um, if there's a bit of a disappointment for me in this, okay, but here's the thing. I mean, again, 11th film in a franchise. We had 10 before this. And I can't go back to 1987 and relive that first moment seeing The Chatterer for the first time. When my skin crawled, the hair on my arms felt like it wanted to, like, run and hide. Like, the first time ever seeing the Chatterer freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. Okay? I, <laughs> it spooked me. This time around, okay, these Cenobites, like I said, in real life, if, if something like this approached me, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, a, a little disturbed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But nothing on the screen shook me the way seeing The Chatterer for the first time in 1987 did. So, I mean, there is that. But again, we're talking about a franchise that's been around for a while. And again, it's also the whole don't expect everything you see to reinvent the wheel. You can't always do that. What we have here is David Bruckner has put together a fine horror film with some solid storytelling lovely visuals. Oh yeah, and I can't forget to mention the score. Um, Which, in its own way, combines some of that old with a taste of something fresh and new. And that's what a lot of this movie is. A little bit of the old, with a little bit of the new, put together, Mm, no, this won't be the best Hellraiser I've ever seen. But I can also say that it's only preceded by the 1987 original classic and Hellbound Hellraiser 2. This is now my third favorite of the Hellraiser franchise. This is my th- I love this movie. Excellent, excellent film. And if you read any comments, you see any reviews online that tell you that it is woke garbage, these people did not get the movie at all. That is not in this movie. There, there is nothing of that, and if you're going to tell me that, oh, well, there's a gay couple, if that's your idea of quote-unquote woke garbage, you shouldn't be commenting about this movie. Honestly, it is not that, and I have seen a little bit of that, not a whole lot, because there's been quite a, quite a bit of love for this, which has been really refreshing for me. Seeing a whole lot of love and passion towards this film has made me very happy, this is an amazing film. I will more than likely in the near future do a full review where I will spoil a whole lot, break down the film, talk about all the little nuances that I absolutely loved in this, but this is a great movie and I highly recommend it. (laughs) If you're of age, of course, obviously if you're, you know, a little kid, maybe you don't, you don't want to watch this movie. Um, I don't know. It worked for me. Now let's go back to the family-friendly oriented context, the, the 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 films that kids can watch, right? And we're going to talk about this week. It's Paranorman. Paranorman. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw this out before the trailer. It's the 10 year anniversary for this film, and it was only announced previously, like earlier this what weekend. There is a watch party that will be happening online in which they will be viewing the original film, and it's a watch party online with uh, Leica Enterprises, I believe it is, or something to that effect. I, I had, I'll get the details for you in during the break. But, um, anyways, it's happening October fifteenth, and then afterwards, after the film, what's really cool is they're they're recreating a live like a scene from the movie live action. This is kind of cool. Um, so that's going to happen, uh, October 15th. I did post on the Facebook page, the whole link and everything. I even had the video that, you know, explains what's going to be happening and stuff like that. So feel free to check it out if you want. Anyways, moving on to Paranorman, let's do the trailer timeout. And when we return, let's go back 10 years to a film that came out in summertime, but is a great Halloween flick to watch with. Your family will return with Paranorman after the break back in a Splat Kids. Meet Norman. Can't you be like other kids your age? His parents don't get him. He's probably up there fiddling with his Ouija or his orb. Harry. His sister doesn't like him. <laughs> you are such a loser. And the kids at school. Look, it's abnormal. Always pick on him. <laughs> but he does have some friends. Norman, wait up. I like to be alone. So do I. Let's do it together. It's just that most of them. Good morning. Aren't exactly alive. How's it hanging? <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Do you see ghosts like all the time? <gasps> Who's a good boy? Uh, that's not his chin. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 <gasps> oh, couldn't you use another stall? Time is running out. The makers of Coraline. The witch's ghost is going to wake up tonight. And when she does, she'll raise the dead. You've got to use your gift of talking to the dead to stop it. This is crazy. Do I look crazy to you? Uh... <laughs> you uh might want to give that a few minutes. Now, to save his town... ...you'll need a little help. Oh, yeah. I got you. Ow! Oh, this is getting completely out of... Ah! Is he dead or what? And a whole lot of guts. Is everyone all right? Nobody got bitten? I bit I th- hung. Did that count? This summer, you don't become a hero Norman! Norman? This is so Norman! By being normal. There's nothing wrong with being scared, Norman. As long as you don't let it change who you are. Paranorman. Play some hockey, okay. So, I'll try not to stretch this story too long. But have you ever had a moment in your life when you did or you said something like funny? It was sort of like a dumb moment, but at the same time, you're like, ah, it was harmless, so you just let it be, you know, hoping that you know others might just find humor in it and whatnot, anyways. I know a lot of you don't care about the Chicago Bears or football on here. You know, I know, yay sport that I love when people are so condescending about that. But anyways, um, I'll keep those details out of it. But anyways, there was a post on Chicago Bears Facebook page. I made a comment on and after it was pointed out to me that I had kind of mixed up teams Because I thought I was talking about one team when I was actually talking about another. And anyways, I, I screwed it up and I mixed up the Seahawks with the Eagles. Not that you care. But anyways. So yeah, that happened. And I just decided, you know, some people, like, they'll see they wrote something wrong on social media. They delete it right away. Well, I was just like, I'll just leave it there. Let people laugh at me. Who cares? It's at my expense. I don't care. Well as much as it's not a revelation at the same time leave it to people to have to disappoint me because instead of laughing about it or having you know a good joke with it instead people kept telling me that i was clueless that i was a moron you know for me to go hang myself when actually i just wanted my comment to hang around for them to laugh about But instead, they wanted me to go hang myself. Seriously, someone wrote that. They were like, you should go hang yourself. You're an idiot. And I'm trying to read this in a lapping manner at the same time. Like, I'm trying not to take it negatively. But then when, like, you know, four-letter words are getting thrown at me as well, you know, the ones that I'm keeping off the show lately, and it's like, again, it shouldn't offend me. I mean, honestly, I really wasn't offended. These people don't know me, but it was like, All I wanted to do was make people laugh. And it seemed like I failed at even that because of social media. And you're like, really? This is all about social media? You're joking about this again? No, it was actually about the whole hanging comment. Because in Paranorman, there's the comment about, hey, I see you're hanging around. And she's like, it's not like I haven't heard that one before. It reminded me of that. So (laughs) I know you're like, wow, how he put those two together. But I did. Anyways. Paranorman had its North American premiere August 17th, 2012. The red carpet premiere was 12 days earlier on August 5th, but for nationwide, you know, continent-wide, it was uh, August uh, 17th. Wow! Struggling to say August 17th. What's wrong with me? Directed by Chris Butler and Sam Fell, with the story being written by Chris butler i have a story on how he came up with the idea anyways both chris and sam uh they have not really directed a lot but they have both worked on different duties in the the filmmaking world like for example chris has worked on two films very dear to my heart actually uh tim burton's corpse bride and the amazing henry Selleck film Coraline, which will be an episode one day guys Anyways, uh, and here's the thing. We all know that other stop motion animation film that both Burton's and Selick's name is attached to. Yeah, I'm talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, that has nothing to do with Chris. It's just, it's funny how, you know, it's all about connecting the dots, right? Connect the dots. La, la, la. I don't know. I, I'll stop. Anyway, so yes. Produced by Travis Knight and. Arian Arian Ariane Sutner I really should learn how to pronounce names before doing this show but anyways I it's sort of like it it's spelled like it would be like Brienne but it's Ariane so I'm I'm thinking anyways moving on Travis was the director for Bumblebee uh, the Transformers movie there. And is currently working on The Six Billion Dollar Man. With the, you know the film that's being inspired by that famous 70s TV show. That show starred Lee Majors. Mark Wahlberg is apparently slated to be the new Six Billion Dollar Man. So that's happening. And Arianne, she worked on aspects of The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And both Travis and Arianne have worked together on Kubo and the Two Strings and Missing Link. Those two movies there are linked to this in terms of the studio that produced the films. Um, cinematography was done by Tristan Oliver, whose background includes working on movies like Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and The West Anderson hit animated film try saying that three times fast Isle of Dogs I don't know if you guys know that one or not but it's, it had uh, voice actors like Brian Cranston Edward Norton Jeff Goldblum Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray um, of course being about dogs yeah I'll, I'll watch it uh, but anyways yes so Tristan was attached to that and the music score uh you know you're, you're kind of hearing playing in the background right now by Mr. John Bryan and John's been attached to here's the thing about a lot of these people Um, a lot of the names you're going to hear me talking about especially in the starring cast and whatnot and obviously some of these names as well that I've already talked about not very many of them are linked to the horror genre which is really interesting when you consider that paranormal really has a nice horror feel to it so it's like all of these people they were familiar with the genre they knew what they were doing but at the same time a lot of their careers did not focus in the genre of horror uh anyways john bryan he did the score for this he also did the score for movies like boogie nights uh no actually i think boogie nights he was just attached to the music department i'm not sure he actually did the score uh same with pleasantville But I do know that he did the score for Punch punch Drunk Love, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I I Heart Huckabees. Why are all these titles, why, why, why are these titles, these titles? They're so hard to say. And the 2018 film Christopher Robin. And I mentioned Christopher Robin because I talked about Winnie the Pooh earlier. But I'm like, all these titles, I Heart Huckabees huckabees like i could never say that even once fast let alone three times fast but anyways it is what it is now let's move on to our starring cast which this is a voice acting cast obviously but there's some great names attached to this and there's a lot of them so i took the ones that were important and i got key details to mention that's about it because there was a lot of names that i had to get through we will start with Norman. Norman Babcock. He is our lead protagonist in this film, voiced by Cody Smith McPhee. See, I was able to say that one. Said it slowly, but anyways, this this is going to be uh, subtitled the episode where my tongue kept getting tight. No, um, anyways, so Cody. Uh, he plays Norman. Norman is uh, is apparently he's 11-year-old misfit kid. He's an outcast. He's an outsider. But he can speak to the dead. He has this the, the power of a medium. Um, Cody himself, he was uh, also in films like Let Me In, which was uh, the remake to Let the Right One In. Uh, he was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And he was in two X-Men films, uh, X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men Dark Phoenix. He played Nightcrawler a.k.a. Kurt Wagner. Uh, He played him. And most recently, I'm bringing this up because, God, every football game I watch, they promote this movie like it's going out of style. Uh, That new movie, Elvis, um, was an HBO movie in the States. It's on Crave here in Canada, whatever. Anyways, he's in that. He plays Jimmy Rogers Snow. Yeah, yeah. I will not lie. I have no desire to see this Elvis movie. I do like some of Elvis's music and whatnot, but I honestly can't see me watching this movie. It may happen though one day. Who knows? Uh, moving on to Agatha Prendergast. And she is the the the, the, the witch. The the curse on the town. Uh, she's voiced by Jodell Berl- Berland. Um, and again, she's an 11-year-old ghost girl uh, from the 1700s who was accused of witchcraft. Um, Interestingly enough, she also played another witch back in the day. In 2006, she was part of the hit film that was based on the video game of Silent Hill. So obviously I've talked about her before. She was also in uh, Cabin in the Woods and The Tall Man. Tall Man, I have not seen. I'm not going to lie, but she is part of that. Uh, moving on to Bernard Hill, he is Judge Hopkins, he is the judge that is, uh, he's deceased, he's uh, sort of like one of the zombies, I guess you would say, or whatnot, uh, he's, well, he's the leader of them, um, and he's the one that, you know, he, he condemned Aggie for, you know, being tied to witchcraft, or so he thought, um, anyways, where would you know Bernard from, um ton of tv work maybe but i'm pretty sure most of you know him as theoden from the two towers and return of the king and the lord of the rings epic saga the three films there he was in the second and third one as king the- theodin Theoden, i think i'm saying it wrong the first time but it's theodin you know him as that he was also in gothica with halle berry and he was captain smith in james cameron's titanic Titanic. I I don't need to see. I I've seen, here's the thing about Titanic. I've probably seen the whole movie, just not in order because I always see a clip here, clip there sequence here. I've probably seen the whole damn thing, just not in the order that it was released. Um, (laughs) Anyways, we'll move on to Tucker Albreze as Neil. Neil is Norman's 10 year old friend who is, he's overweight, Um, And he suffers from IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. That in itself is a horror. But anyways, yes, um, I feel bad for anyone who has to deal with that. Tucker was also in films like Monster Trucks. And I bring up Monster Trucks because Monster Trucks has an actress in it who is tied to the Evil Dead remake and Don't Breathe, uh, Jane Levy. She was actually also in Castle Rock, which I shouldn't be talking about Jane because I'm supposed to be talking about Tucker, but it was sort of one of those, like I went down the rabbit hole and started realizing that he had worked with Jane and obviously Jane is attached to movies that I actually really appreciate and love. And then there's the castle rock series. And I was like, Oh, all right. And kind of just sort of went down that rabbit hole. Moving on to Anna Kendrick, speaking of rabbit holes, um, because that's another one that you start reading into things and you go this way and that way. And I lost track. I must've spent about 20 minutes researching Anna, Anna Kendrick, uh, just because, um, because recently and currently, right now, she has a movie, Alice Darling, that is making appearances at certain film festivals and getting rave reviews. So I was trying to look into it to find it and couldn't find it because then I found out it was at the film festivals. I'm like, it's not even out digitally yet. So I can't watch it from the comfort of my home. And yeah, like I said, 20 minutes got wasted. I'll be trying to find that. Anyways, um, Anna and here, she plays Courtney Babcock. She's Norman's uh, older sister. She's a cheerleader. She's like... Um, I like how they kind of made her sort of, she's not the plain Jane girl, but she's sort of like the popular girl with the big butt. And they kind of did that with her. And I was like, all right, that works. Um, cause it's funny. And it's something that as you know, teenagers and young kids, we can remember that, you know, like the annoying girl that was so popular and everyone loved her. But actually if you were related to her, it was a complete pain in the big butt. Um, Anyways, Anna has also been in all the Twilight films. Uh, she probably wouldn't want me to say that, but it happened. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. She was in Into the Woods. She's also attached to a lot of the Trolls animated features. She plays the character of Poppy. And like I said, she's currently in a movie called Alice Darling, which, again, getting a lot of rave reviews, so I've been sort of curious to check into this one. Moving on to Christopher Mintz Plasse as Alvin, uh, he's fifteen year old school bully. He's the, he's the kid that's picking on you know Abnorman as he calls him and stuff like that. He picks on him a lot. Uh, Christopher was in films like Superbad and Kick Ass. Uh, also, he was in some of those trolls animated features with Anna Kendrick, and he played Ed in the twenty eleven Fright Night remake. Uh, that's the one with. Um, Colin Farrell as it was playing the role that Christopher Chris Sarandon played so well in the original I never understood why we remade why they remade Bright Night I I don't get that because the original still holds up today but anyways moving on Casey Affleck as Mitch Down now Mitch is Neil's Twenty-year-old brother. he Now Neil is, like I said, he's Norman's best friend. Well, this is his old, the best friend's older brother kind of thing, and he's a jock. He's also the one that Courtney has an attraction to. Um, there is a key element to his character that I will talk about later, uh, but it's something that was the first of its kind. Anyways, he's uh, Casey's. Also been in movies like American Pie and American Pie Two. Uh, He was in all those Oceans movies. What was it? Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans 13. He was in those. He was in Soul Survivors with Eliza Dushku, uh, Gone Baby Gone, and he was in Interstellar. Uh, What do we got here? Four names left to go through. John Goodman. John Goodman is in this movie as Mr. Prendergast. He is Sandra's uncle. He's Courtney and Norman's great uncle. Um... He's weird. He's eccentric. I, it, He's in this. But let's face it, it. There are two. Well, there's three things I can mention John Goodman from. We'll get Roseanne out of the way. Yes, we all know. He was in Roseanne. He's Dan Connor. He was also in Arachnophobia, which, yeah, depending on who you are. I mean, I personally love the movie. There's some people that don't. I get it. They don't like spiders. Okay. I got it. But John Goodman for me, it's all about the t- 10 Cloverfield Lane. i We'll never stop raving about his performance in that movie. It is way up there. So good. Uh, Elaine Stritch as Grandma Babcock. She's the ghost of Courtney and Norman's deceased grandmother um yes she's the ghost which is kind it's it's funny how that all gets revealed very early in the film as well you know when norman's watching the movie and he's watching with grandma and then all of a sudden you wonder why his parents are getting mad at him and annoyed with him that he's watching the movie with grandma but it's because grandma's a ghost and they can't see her but norman can and yeah that all happens anyways elaine was a tv actress um Most of her, she had 81 acting roles. Most of them were on various uh, TV shows and whatnot. This movie, though, was, well, it was her last full feature uh, film, but one of her last roles that she was in, uh, she passed away two years after this was released in 2014 jeff garland as perry babcock he is the father he is he's all about perry you know paranorman well norman obviously i i like calling the kid paranorman because i just like the name the title of this movie is amazing let's just put that out there now uh anyways he's uh norman's father and and he's all you know blustered about the fact that norman is talking to himself aka ghosts and whatnot um jeff was recently in the movie Studio 666, the the movie that uh, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters put together. I think, actually, it was a whole band, but um, he was in that. And then he's also the voice of the Captain in Wally, which is my favorite Pixar movie of all time, so I thought I had to mention that. But, I mean, most people, who do they know Jeff Garland as? He's Murray Goldberg on the Goldbergs. Um Let's. I got two left. I actually. I'm gonna save one for last. Um. So Leslie Mann as Sandra Babcock. She's the mother. Um. She's she was not in anything really horror related. Uh. She comes from a lot of comedy background. Uh. The cable Guy, Big Daddy, Forty Year Old Virgin, Knocked Up, and Seventeen Again, and th- those kinds of films. She came from that background. She's actually really good in this though as their mother. Um. And finally. Tempest Bledsoe as Sheriff Hopper, uh, Hooper, sorry. I, my blunder, I wrote Hopper. I obviously had Stranger Things on the brain. But no, Um, she's the sheriff of Blythe Hollow. And if you don't know the name Tempest Bledsoe, shame on you because I'm kidding. Not everyone knows this show, but you should know it. Uh, Cosby Show. She was Vanessa. Um, And I thought that was kind of cool. Runtime for the movie is an hour and 32 minutes long. It's rated PG for mild sex-related humor, dark humor, animated violence and gore, and very, very mild language. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there was... Well, they say the word pissing. I don't know if you consider that a swear word, but like I said, very mild language. They wrote language, and I was like, quite mild, actually. It wasn't bad. It was more the dark humor, I think, that threw this into the PG realm than anything else. Uh the budget was sixty million. Gross profit was 107.1 million. So it's a successful. Flick. According in my eyes, anyways. The synopsis for the film, I should actually do this because I don't know if everybody knows what this movie is actually about. It's not like Adams Family where like last week I was like, well you guys know what the Adams Family is. But anyways, young Norman Babcock has the ability to speak with the dead, and he often prefers their company to that of the living. (laughs) I feel that. Norman receives word from his strange uncle Prendergast, played by John Goodman, that a centuries-old witch's curse on their town is real and about to come true, and that only Norman can stop it. When zombies rise from their graves, Norman must summon all his courage and compassion and push his paranormal abilities to the limit to save his fellow townspeople. Which, you gotta say, that's quite noble on his part because he prefers talking to the dead than he does the living and yet he still sticks up for the living in the end. So that's pretty cool. As for this segment of the show, I went deep cut. I'm calling this one, Sometimes Dead is Better, Sometimes. Um, So, let's start right at the beginning, the idea of this film, where this whole idea came from. The idea of the film came from Chris Butler. He was the writer and co-director of the film, and he was trying to think of something to create, something new to bring to the world and whatnot, and he came to this realization that he, because he loved zombie films and whatnot, that zombie films can also have a degree of social commentary in them. Sometimes it's not as down your throat as, you know, other films are as well. He liked that idea, so he thought, here's an idea, how about making a zombie movie for kids that can express some of, like, the challenges and the troubles that kids go through when growing up. So that... Kids can watch it and relate to it, and parents, as they watch it, it might also help them understand how their kids feel, which, to be quite honest, if a parent doesn't understand how their kid feels, then what did you do in your childhood? (laughs) Like, I don't get that. But anyways, I'm not a parent. I wouldn't know. Um, He also, in a way, created the character of Norman. Uh, Norman was based on his own experiences, and he actually was quoted as saying, a lot of people have said Norman is like me, and that is definitely true. Norman is the kind of kid who likes to write stories. I was a quiet kid, and I loved to sit in my room and make up stories about monsters and zombies. There is a lot of Norman that I relate to as well in this. Not so much the writing stories. I, I like to create a lot of crap in my head. My, there's always a movie going on in my head, and a lot of people don't know that, and I, this might even be the first time I've actually ever act, like admitted that. But so I, I, I might not write down so much, but there is always something going on in my head. And when I was reading that, that's what he created Norman to sort of be like, I was like, I totally get now even more why I love this character of Norman so much. Um, move on to the production of the film, the film uh, it took three years to make this film. Two of the years were spent focusing on the animation process at Leica's studio in Oregon to quickly explain Leica. Leica was founded in 2005 by Phil Knight and his son, Travis Knight. Phil, I might add is the co-founder and he's the retired chairman of Nike. Yeah. Nike incorporated. He helped create that. <laughs> and then he created this of course, with his son. Um, he was also at one point he was, he was full on chairman. He was a chairman. Sorry. Uh, he was the CEO of the company and when I, he, tied to nike for many many years and then he created this in 2005 laca itself is a stop-motion animation studio that's based in oregon uh, they specialize in feature films and commercial content and stuff like that they're best known for their stop-motion feature films like Coraline, paranorman the box trolls kubo and the two strings and the missing link now Paranorman was the second of those films. It was the second release film. Coraline came before it. When they were making this film, it was released as Paranorman in 3D as well. Now, in order to give the movie that 3D effect, instead of using a traditional 3D camera, the studio you, you they had this technique they used where they had it was like it was rigged to like this like okay, they used like sixty uh, what was it, sixty cameras in total were used, and then they had like this machine that they would rig the cameras up on, that what they would do is basically for each frame, they would take a shot and then it would slightly move and would take another shot, and then slightly move and take another shot, and it would keep doing that and that's what gave the 3D effect because this is stop motion animation so it's not like they had to use the traditional camera for things that were moving, they could just stop a frame and then take different shots from all around, and a the animation alone was a two year process that took two years to create this movie, which is 92 minutes in length, not to mention there's deleted scenes and all the extras that came with it as well. So for two years straight, that's what they did. Um, And then, as for the different faces, the different characters and whatnot, all of that was created using 3D printers, which was an idea they got from Coraline. Coraline, and when they did Coraline, they used these black and white 3D printers, and it helped speed up the process of creating the little characters that they would move ever so slightly for each frame. Well, they did that with this, except for the zombies. The zombies were done in the old traditional way of mechanics and silicone skins and whatnot. Uh, because there was a lot more to it, obviously. Um, I mean, you got zombies that are gooey and, you know, the ears fall off and stuff like that. They did it differently with that. Um... After its initial release, the film was embraced in a mainly positive light. There was very few criticisms when this came out, and as a matter of fact, it grabbed two nominations, one in the Academy Awards for that year and the other in the British Academy of Film and Television Arts, or BAFTA Awards as they're called. And in both cases, sadly, Paranorman lost to Pixar's Brave, which, okay... I I know this is going to be real blasphemy when I say this. I've never seen Brave. It did not appeal to me. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying and I know it's highly loved by a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, go love it. I'm not going to tell you not to. But it's not something that really appealed to me. I remember all the jokes back then too when when brave was out and at the same time arrow had just premiered on tv and there was all these different things about who was the better archer and whatnot yeah i know (laughs) that's what i knew it for um anyway so yeah and i'm going to also mention because if for those of you who pay attention to this show obviously probably wondering why i picked Paranorman. and to be completely honest it was an unconscious decision i wasn't actually paying attention to And I did this, but I've actually, this is the second, like, this is the second film I've reviewed this year. That's a stop motion animation flick. And I didn't actually put that together when I was picking the movies. I said, I wanted to do an animated film this year when I picked Paranorman, it didn't dawn on me that just recently I did mad God, which is the Phil Tippett stop motion animation film. That was really confusing, but a lot of fun. Um, that movie from 2022 shutter exclusive and this night so yeah there's kind of that weird connection when I did this review and it was like this is the second stop animation movie I'm doing this year and I I don't think pr- prior to these two I don't think I had ever done one so it's it's kind of cool this is a different kind of movie obviously than that um, there's a lot of familiar parts to this movie though uh, not in connection to mad god but to other things uh so and just to give you an idea like i mean the story takes place in blithe hollow which is a mashup of blithe spirit which was the story by noel coward and the legend of sleepy hollow which was the washington urban story that was also made really famous by disney and whatnot so blithe hollow comes from blithe spirit and legend of sleepy hollow and it's things like that that make this film have a familiar feel to it. Um, it's, uh, you know, the eggs, the nods, the spoofs, because this, this is still a fun-loving flick that has a lot of that spoof um, attitude towards it. I guess, I guess attitude might be, like, the right word to have. I mean, keep in mind, the beginning of this movie, right? The way the movie opens, and, and Norman is watching that scary movie on TV, and it's like... It's sort of like watching night of the living dead. But if Jamie Lee Curtis was in the movie, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of doing that and whatnot. So, and then there's, of course you get, you get the total tone of the film right from the very beginning when the girl is screaming at the zombie coming towards her and she's like screaming and then there's like a pause and then she realizes, okay, I got to keep screaming. So she continues to do it again. And there's, there's that. So you, you, get the idea that they're going to tribute they're going to homage certain things but at the same time it's going to spoof it at the same time and that's the thing to remember about this film in many ways it's a spoof it's a tribute it's a it's it's a passion a, a love letter a love letter that's the term i'm thinking of to zombie films you know and horror films in general because there's there's other nods and eggs in here that didn't necessarily come from the zombie genre but It just came from horror movies. This is also, though, a story of anxiety. It's a story of the anxieties of childhood and growing up. It's a story of, you know, the feeling of loneliness, accepting one's own differences and not being afraid to be yourself. You know, there's that. But is it a horror film? Because that's sort of the question that's come up sometimes. Is this a horror film? I mean, it's an animated film. They aren't scary, are they? For my generation, well, maybe Secret and NIMH was definitely a film with some horrifying moments. Uh, I'm not going to lie, The Great Owl haunted me for most of my childhood. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, animated films, are they, are they supposed to be scary? I mean, for some, I saw comments and reviews saying that they felt Paranorman was a horror film. And I might have to agree with that to a degree i mean in regards to this film i mean it's an animated film that will definitely catch the attention of younger viewers it's colorful it's cute you got cute little norman and his friends and whatnot but it is still definitely a very dark film that doesn't shy away from a lot you know including the concept of death and afterlife and other themes as well more on that in a bit but um Let's here's the thing. You know what? I've been doing it for a bit now and I like this format, so I'm going to go straight into the next segment, which is the quick eight. Eight points that I picked from this film which are going to highlight sort of what I was just talking about. Number 1 though, honestly, this is something that might not appeal to everyone, but for me this was something very personal was the character's feeling relatable? Which is sometimes one of those things where like, and I'm not going to lie, even when I watch like Hellraiser, for example, I didn't relate to the characters, but it was still fully engulfed and pulled into the story. This movie, on the other hand, has characters I relate to. So I understand that aspect as well. Sometimes when you hear people will say, well, what's so big about representation in films? Sometimes it just makes it that bad bit more interesting for someone it doesn't necessarily mean like it has to be like this full-on moral story or you know as they call it these days wokeness no it doesn't always have to be that sometimes it just makes it a little bit easier to follow along with the story um i the the character of norman i i was that kid you know i i was sort of that kid that grew up that horror fan you know i was that kid who who grew up and wasn't always understood and that's not me crying the blues i'm not like oh woe is me no one understood me i'm so emo no 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 i'm just saying not everyone always got me this to this day they still don't always get me and okay i'm cool with it i was a kid who grew up talking to himself a lot i had a lot of imaginary friends something that i don't really tell a lot of people but it's just how it was like so it definitely resonated with that character of Norman when, you know, he's walking down the street and, you know, he's talking to the woman hanging in the tree. Oh, how's it hanging? Oh, I haven't heard that one before. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're a kid growing up, even if you're not seeing ghosts, sometimes it's those imaginary friends you have that you're talking to. Um, uh, it, it, like, in this case, obviously, he's talking to the ghosts, but the surrounding community... They only saw him as talking to himself. Being that kid that grew up and, you know, I, I didn't always play well with others. So I made a lot of imaginary friends, talked a lot to myself. Didn't mean I was there was any issues. It was just the way I grew up. So I see a bit of myself in Norman. I get that. I get that bit sometimes where it comes up, you know, you'll see people arguing online over whether or not representation is important. Sometimes it kind of is just so that that a person watching it can feel a little attached, more attached to the story than just, yeah, these are five people that are going to die. And (laughs) okay. I, yeah, I get them, but I don't care. You know what I mean? I like that. This film does a great job highlighting the fact that he wasn't accepted he wasn't understood especially with the older sister and the school bully they really point that out this was also one of those films where seeing the bullying didn't really bother me that much um because it helped highlight the character of Norman to which I understood a uh, part uh, point two not part two I gotta stop saying part two Last week, I think, what was it? Was it point four? Where I said part four, and it's like, it's point. Point number two. The music score. John Bryan does a wicked job creating a fun and haunting score that works well. It works well simultaneously while the visuals and the audio parts are being blended together. Um, I've always felt that the success of a great score is based on how well it helps to tell the story. And in this case, the music is just as much a part of the narrative as the visuals in the dialogue, without standing out as well. I know you're thinking he's pointing out about the score, but it doesn't stand out. No, I like the fact that it's almost it's so it it's so much helping to tell the story that it's almost subconsciously being noticed, but you're not really paying attention to it. But when the movie's done, you remember scenes based on certain musical cues. Because like when I listen to the soundtrack, I can see the movie in my head, which is weird. Because when I watched the movie, I wasn't really focused on the score, so I like that. I like that the score is playful when it needs to be. It's spooky when the story calls for it. I realize that I have a, you know, I do rave over a lot of film scores. There's very few that I don't like. Um, but this one is a joy to consume, and I do listen to it separately from the movie quite a bit, especially in October. But when I'm watching the movie, it it just fits so perfectly that it's almost one of those unnoticed things that you are noticing. I know that it probably makes no sense at all, but whatever. Um, point number three, the original yet familiar storyline. Um, and this point, and I will say point four, they kind of tie in together. They're sort of hand in hand. But the distinction for this point, um, the whole idea of like like when focusing on the story and whatnot... This, <laughs> Honestly, this is kind of like a sixth sense for kids that also, you know, blends themes of bullying and witchcraft, curses, adolescence, and legacy. Kind of takes all that, puts it in a bowl, blends it all together into a cornucopia of visual gore Pun on gore intended, yes, I know. And I don't think I landed that one that well. (laughs) But, oh well, whatever. You get the point, because in this movie there's also gore it's animated so it's not as harsh on the stomach and i say that only because so apparently there's this story online here's a side note by the way kids uh this is story online you know about terrifier 2 and people are vomiting and fainting in the theaters while they're checking it out one haven't we heard this story before but two i almost wonder like is it real um I don't know and not to mention that's a really high bar you're setting up there because the sadness blew the first terrifier away in terms of gore and violence so i don't know but then again the new terrifier movie is two and a half hours long almost so anyway back to this movie Paranorman. um the thing is is like you know it is a very original story but then when I when I jump into point four, which is coming up like pretty much in seconds, it, it still had a familiarity to it. And point four is the Easter eggs. It's the little nods, it's the homages to those previous entities that existed before this. Uh for example, you got Norman's ringtone, which is the Halloween theme, John Carpenter's Halloween, which leads to a moment where, you know. Norman looks out his window, and there's Neil wearing a hockey mask, looking like Jason Voorhees, and it's because he wants him to play hockey. And that's an obvious nod to Friday the 13th. So you got Halloween and Friday the 13th, two of the most famous slashers being... You know, given nods to uh, the movie that Norman is watching at the beginning of the thing, uh, like the beginning of the movie, obviously is like Night of the Living Dead. So you have that nod, which now you've hit three classics just in that alone. Uh, And then there's the vending machine for those of you who caught that. It's selling Cujo's Uh, and Cujo's actually is spelled C-U-J-O-H. There's an H at the end of it, but it's still they're selling Cujo's and the logo on it is a dog. So go figure. So now you've hit four classics. Um, And not to mention something that I kind of noticed. I mean, maybe not everyone does and whatnot. In its own way, the casting of Jodell Berland as the voice of Agatha, which or Aggie, whatever you want to call her. She's the witch who has cursed Blythe Hollow. And it's the second time she's played a young girl accused of witchcraft. Because like I said earlier, she was in 2006's Silent Hill who was a little girl accused of witchcraft. So, I mean, probably not so intentional. And in terms of the voice acting, I mean, does Jodel's voice really stand out that you're going, Oh, that's silent Hill as well. I mean, it's one of those things where it's more like the credits when you find out later, it's like, Oh, that was kind of cool how that tied in together. But the thing is, is that these eggs that are in the film and there's more other ones that I can't think about of top of my head, but, it's those eggs that make the fun, mo- like the movie fun, for older audiences. Um, and at the same time, like you know, while we're catching those nods and you know, we're going, oh, that's cool, and this and that. It also helps to flesh out the story. It's giving it that uh, added spice of familiarity to. Complement the original ingredients of the movie, so I mean, it all comes together. It's like, like I said, like a nice cornucopia. And you're like, why does he keep going with that word? We just had our Canadian Thanksgiving, okay? So it's I've heard the word a couple times <laughs> recently. Um, I was like, I'll incorporate that. Uh, by the way, to all Canadians, yes, Happy Turkey Day. Um, point number five, and this is where I throw it back to Mad God, even though Mad God really is not related to this film in any way, except that they're both stop motion animation. But the thing is, is that unlike Mad God, this movie has a cohesive, linear, and fun storytelling process. Yeah, you don't have to sit there and, you know, it's not muddied with uh, a bu- an abundance of extra plot lines. It doesn't go all over the place. It doesn't ask the audience to remember every detail in order to enjoy the movie. It's not a Marvel movie. You don't have to have 12 movies that you have to remember key points out of for everything. In this. No, it's one story, very linear, couple little sub points with you know like the the bully kid and the sister the parents stuff but, but i mean it's still pretty straightforward parent you know paranormal norman can talk to the dead and he has to help the town avoid this curse by setting things right with the curses the the, the, the um, not the cursed people but like the the people in the afterlife you know the 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 ghosts so to speak the zombies and whatnot he has to use his powers of medium to set everything right it's pretty straightforward it's easy um sure there's things that when you watch it the second and third times around you'll catch things that you didn't catch the first time but i mean this is w- and that happens with most movies to be honest but this is one of those movies that you can watch at a leisurely level of attention and not have to go on a witch hunt for details to explain to you what just happened afterwards, like and that's kind of cool too, because sometimes you watch a movie and when it's done you're you know you're leafing through your phone or your internet movie database or whatever, trying to figure out okay, did I get the movie properly? did I understand everything that was going on? This is one of those movies where it's straightforward, you know what happened you know you you get it um, point number six, the animation and le- I've already talked about how you know the processes of how they did it and everything like that. I'm not going to go through all that again, but let's let's just state the the obvious here. The animation for this movie is gorgeous. It's gooey, but it's gorgeous. It's it's very bright, it's colorfully lit. It's great use of shadows versus light. I should say that too. They did a very good job with it because I mean it is still stop motion animation. You are going to have shadows and whatnot being used and all that is done right. It's another hit for Leica Studios, you know. Uh, Coraline was before it. Coraline is a great fl- film and honestly I'm even with myself I'm kind of shocked I didn't go with that one over this movie, but this movie just felt right for me to talk about this time around. Coraline will get its day in court, don't worry. Point number 7. The voice acting. And here's what I liked about this was a lot of the old and the new. So it feels very natural for starters. Secondly, you have great powerhouses like John Goodman, Anna Kendrick, Jeff Garland. These are familiar voices. These are voices that people hear them on the screen and go, I know who that is. Especially someone like John Goodman. He has a very distinct voice. So you you have those voices with some of the maybe not so well-known voices like cody smith McBee, jadelle berlin and tucker al not that they're not recognizable names and when you see them in the credits you're like oh hey i know who they are i've seen them in this or that but sometimes the voices themselves they just don't you're listening to go i think i know but i'm not sure it's not like a john goodman or a jeff garland where you're like oh i don't know who that is um and I liked that. I loved all the voices used in this movie. I liked where nothing seemed scathing. Nothing seemed out of place for me. Everything just sort of flowed beautifully. Point number eight is the big one. It's much like last week where the big one was, you know, Christina Ricci in The Adams Family. This is not a character so much. This is more the mature themes and the moral of the story. Um... I mean, it ties in a bit with point number one where I said relatable characters, but this, okay, so here's the thing. And I did say Chris Butler, you know, he said that he found with zombie movies, great commentary could be made. He clearly kept that in mind while he was doing this 92 minute movie, the themes of feeling like an outcast being bullied. Um, they're both done with thoughtfulness and care, uh, and it's like I said earlier it's not it's one of those few times where I'm not annoyed by the use of it to help- like it's not a story plot that bothered me when helping to tell this story because it was very natural and it felt like it belonged in the story. sometimes you just see you know random kid is bullying someone else and it's like okay you're only you're only doing this to pad the runtime or We've seen this before, and it doesn't fit in this story. It was unnecessary. You didn't need it for character development. In this movie, you needed it. It had to be there to point out Norman. There was actually nothing wrong with him. It was everyone else's prejudgment of him. Because, oh, he's walking down the street, and he's talking to himself. He actually wasn't, but you didn't know all the details. Or in this character, in this case, the characters of the film did not know all the details. We, as the audience, do. We see what's going on, but those characters in the film they didn't see it. So they bullied him. They picked on him. They they yelled at him. They didn't understand him. It was very real in this film and definitely needed. Um, and I'm talking about a, an animated film with you know the aspect of talking with the dead, you know, and yet. The themes of exclusion and being outcasted felt very real. It worked. The movie definitely has a moral story to tell. Um, But, like, with, and here's the thing a lot of horror movies will do this, but the best ones will do it while not feeling like they're hammering it down your throat. A movie like Black Christmas from 1974. It's it it always tickles me when I see people say, well, social commentary didn't exist in the movies from the 70s. And it's like, yes, it did. You just didn't catch it because they didn't feel the need to hammer it down your throat. Black Christmas 2019. I couldn't get through 15 minutes of that movie without every other line being something trying to preach to me about what was wrong with society. This movie, there's a moral story there's definitely morals to be learned from this, but again, does it in a way that it's just part of the story. It's just sort of there, and you're not realizing what it's doing. And I'm talking about like the ideas of like, don't judge those who may be different from you. don't jump to conclusions. You know, some actions may be more damaging than you might think. So much of this is relevant, um, especially when there's one scene that really stands out which helps in both furthering the story and also hammering this point about the actions being so much more damaging than people realize. And that is when Norman has that revelatory dream where he's basically seeing the moment when Aggie was judged upon and her medium powers were mistook as being witchcraft. So they condemned her. There was the, the, what the town council you know, took, took it upon themselves to condemn her soul, basically, um, which in turn led to her placing a curse upon the town. Like, and the thing is, is she's only retaliating because why are you picking on me? I'm not doing anything wrong. And it's interesting that this movie in 2012 existed and here we are in a world we're in 2022. We're still in this expletive deleted world, (laughs) Where the human race still has not learned its lesson to stop always judging others, stop assuming the worst of everyone. And then you take that idea, you know, we do judge others, we do assume the worst. And then when people have trust issues, and we wonder, well, what's your problem? Why don't you trust everyone? Why, why, why can't you trust people? I wonder why I mean most of those people that have trust issues just want to live peacefully they don't want to cause trouble, and most of those people that have been judged upon time and time again by the gossip queens of the world and whatnot and kings too. I know a lot of men like to do their gossiping too, but the thing is is that it we create our own problems because we can't just not judge you know and It's the reality of the film. You know, it's, it's that reality that makes this animated fictional story so potent and does it again. Like I said, without, without the fact of having to hammer it down our throats, here's something else slipped into the movie. And while I'm sure audiences took note of it, it was like, it was just there and you didn't see it coming. This is the first animated film ever to include a gay character. Neil's older brother Mitch, the one that Courtney has a crush on, is gay. And it is not noted until the very end of the movie. And when they promoted this film, they didn't feel the need to overhype it. They didn't have to put it out there. Yeah, we're the first animated movie with a gay character. They just did it. He's just there. The whole movie, his character is just being Mitch, the dumb jock, which they kind of play on that stereotype. Which, even at that, you have the jock. The jock should be the one that's all full of testosterone and I'm the big man and, it's not, and he's the gay character. Throwing stereotypes right out the window. And they did it without fueling the need to hammer it in our faces. They didn't have to use it as a promotional technique or anything. And I say that only because, and I'm not picking on them, they have every right to do the promotion the way they want to, but with the new Hellraiser film, there was a lot of talk about the gay connotations in the film and whatnot. It really didn't need to do it. Like, okay, there's a gay couple in the movie. Okay. There's some homosexual themes. Okay. But it didn't change the story. It didn't make the story of Hellraiser any different? Same with this, and that's why I like that. When Paranorman came out, they didn't feel the need to have to hype that. When Hellraiser came out, there was a bit of hype behind that, and I, I felt that that was a bit of a detraction, and could have also possibly been what led to certain people saying, "I'm not watching Hellraiser." Where with Paranorman, nobody knew what they were walking into. It was like cute, ho- cute little horror movie. I'm going to watch this next thing you know that sprung on them and they're like oh okay i'm sure there are people out in the world that had problems with it (laughs) i'm not being completely naive about this but where some movies feel the need to jam things in everyone's faces about the inclusivity this movie just put it there and left left it for everyone to discover on their own and just again and it's another piece to the story of don't judge people. Don't assume you know everything you do, especially like, and this is something that I, I try to keep in mind when I'm at work. I might get frustrated with someone at work. I might get frustrated with someone's work ethic, but I don't know what their life is. The other 16 hours, they're not there. So I try and I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes too. I, I go off the handle and then it's like, oh, you idiot. Like seriously, you have enough problems in your life. What makes you think they don't? You know what I mean? And I like that this movie was able to bring that to the story. They did it in a very fun loving way at the same time. And it's just, it's such a great wholesome movie at the end at, at the end of its runtime, you know, Rotten Tomatoes has this at an 89% approval rating. Metacritic has it at a weighted score of 72 out of 10. And IMDb sees the movie holding a 7 out of 10 rating, with 7 and 8 being the two most common ratings. I can't believe it, but I'm actually pretty much on point with Rotten Tomatoes for once, which is usually the one I have a problem with. Podcast Zero rating. This is a family-friendly story in an animated horror movie. And yes, because of the reality of these stories in a fictional film is what makes it a horror film. It's a great tale of friendship and heroism, while at the same time showing the horrors and consequences of assuming the worst, judging a book by its cover. I like that it also focused on the consequences, the guilt that can come from that, what will follow you to the grave. It's a great homage to the fun moments and elements that good horror films can offer and have in the past. Some of them still doing it even now. I know a lot of people are like, "New horror sucks. No, not in all of them. There are some good ones out there. Um, this is a wonderful film that adults and kids can enjoy together. It's another of those great family-friendly flicks that you can especially enjoy during Halloween. This is the season where kids, you know, get to have fun. and Adults can be kids too at Halloween. You don't always have to be so, you know, mature and adulting all the time. I hate that term. But anyways, you get my point. (laughs) Have fun. Uh, this is one that I enjoy returning to from time to time. It's never a slog to get through. I do own it on DVD. Probably should get the Blu-ray. But I have it on DVD and I do watch it as, as much as I can because I love watching this movie. It's 8 gooey zombies out of 10. Okay? Like, it's it's an 8 out of 10. It's a great flick. Um, I mean, it, there's times where I, I could even say it's almost a 9. You know, is it a perfect movie? Uh, I don't know. There's a few little stereotypes that come up in it that I get why they're there. I, I understand we're you know we're spoofing the whole idea of the stereotype, but it's like hey, I've done that before. But oh well, it is what it is. Like I said, it's not. And I'm being nitpicky, really. Like honestly, trying to find a criticism of this film was not easy. And it's like okay, the stereotype. maybe like anyways 8 out of 10 for sure it's such a classic flick and if you haven't seen it and you listen to this well spoilers i told you quite a bit but (laughs) anyways um i highly recommend this if you've seen it before watch it again it's a great movie it's so awesome so cute and yes for younger audiences, might be a little scary, but there's nothing wrong with giving them a little bit of a scare. That's the point of Gateway Films, and that's what this is, another great Gateway flick that the whole family can enjoy. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back. And again, Adam's family had a great turnout, guys. Um, a very quick... I, I assumed seeing the name, the Adams family, everybody's like, I gotta listen to this. Either that, or it's like two people in 98 bots, but I, I don't know. Um, two people to every 98 bots. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm kidding. No, it was awesome. Uh, seeing the Adams family, like so many people gravitating to it and whatnot. And that was great. It was awesome. I was so happy that that was a nice little successful start to the gateway to halloween event um this is it it's been a good year for me and i'm i'm really happy with the podcast i'm really happy with where things are going i hope you guys are too you know for those of you who keep coming back thank you it's awesome it's making me It's making it worth it um so yeah that's the thing should i announce to you guys what the next episode is you know what, I think I will, because here's the thing about this next episode, okay? The next episode is an obscure film. It's one that might have slipped past quite a few people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I forgot about it, <laughs> okay? I have seen it. I saw it when I was a kid. I have to actually go back and revisit this movie as well in order to prepare for this episode, which is what I usually do anyways. I usually revisit all the films. But this one I'm going to have to pay attention to because it's been decades since I saw it. Uh, It's a Walt Disney production. Uh, It's a Walt Disney film. It's a creepy little film, live-action film, uh, from director Jack Clayton. And it's kind of funny that last week's episode, I started with a clip from the poem that shares the same title as this movie. This is also a movie that has shared a title with... A, song, a, a certain song that had it popped up, you know, Harry Potter, for crying out loud. Um, but yeah, so the film stars Jonathan Price and Jason Robards. It's from 1983. It's a movie called Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's a Ray Bradbury flick based on a Ray Bradbury story that was released by Walt Disney Productions. And it's creepy. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, I think, probably should announce that i'll announce also so you guys know if you haven't seen it it's available on youtube in its full runtime so if you want to watch it that's why i'm announcing this now if you want to go watch something wicked this way comes so when i do the review next week you're not like he spoiled the whole movie for me it's going to happen uh <laughs> anyways yes podcast can be found on spotify apple podcast google fm player um audible audible is another one i never mentioned that one same with amazon music it's on amazon music as well Uh, so yeah many of the major streaming apps it is available on social media facebook instagram and twitter Uh, and there's the email address what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com you guys are awesome and i hope you're enjoying this event and now without further ado we'll let some quote take this show to its ending. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus.